0: That's right. Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Perry May Ward, and um, as Tim said, I have known the Stillwells for quite a long time, and um, I'm into the business of making a lot of money, and I know some great stories about Tim. So, you know, if you need... Any ammunition, I am your woman, ask for my number afterwards, but I take check or cash. I don't do credit cards yet, but um, I would love um, to tell you a little bit more about Tim, but I'll resist it tonight. But I would like to read you a story that I found in this book um, that was in my flatmate's loo. It's called The Pig That Wants to be Eaten and 99 Other Thought Experiments, and this is entitled, The Indian and the Ice. And it's from a book or from an essay concerning human understanding by David Hume, written in 1748. So let me just read you this little story. Dara Gupta lived all her life in a village near Jaisalmer. you have to forgive my pronunciations, in the Rajasthan Desert. One day in 1822, she couldn't have been written in 1748. One day in 1822, as she was cooking dinner, she became aware of a commotion. She looked up to discover that her cousin, Mahavir, had returned from a trip he had begun two years before. He, look, he looked in good health, and over dinner he told them of his adventures. There were tales of robbers and wild animals, great mountains and other indescribable sights and adventures. But what really stunned Dara was his claim to have seen something called ice I went to regions where it was so cold the water stopped flowing and formed a solid translucent block said Mahivar. what is more amazing is that there is no state between where the liquid between where the liquid thickens the water that flows freely is only slightly warmer than that which is solidified Dara did not want to challenge her cousin in public, but she did not believe him. What he said contradicted all her experience. She did not believe it when travelers told her of fire-breathing dragons, nor would she believe this nonsense about ice. She rightly thought she was too intelligent for that. And I think that's a very interesting story. Because we all know that it's true, but we know that it's true partly, probably because we have experienced ice our whole lives. And so if we told her about ice, would she believe us? Now what I'm going to talk about tonight, for some of you, may be a little bit like me describing to someone living in a desert how ice is formed, or describing ice, And that is, I'm going to talk about prayer. And for some of you, it may be that I might as well be describing ice. But I'd like to challenge you as I talk about it to just allow your mind to imagine that there may be something that is greater than what your own human understanding can already contain. Apparently, three quarters of the secular population of Britain The cynical secular population pray once a week, at least once a week. Now, as a child, I prayed two types of prayers. I don't know if you did this as a child, but the God bless prayers, where I would sit, lie in bed, and I would go through this eternal list of, you know, mummy, daddy, my brother, my sister, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, my teachers, my school friends. It would go on and on and on. The dog, the cat, you know, the next door neighbour's dog, the next door neighbour's cat. And my parents were amazing because they encouraged me through it. They they really encouraged me, despite the fact that they weren't even really churchgoers themselves. So that was my main form of prayer. My other form of prayer, which you probably have all experienced, and I still experience now, are those kind of panic prayers, God help me in my exams. But something rather radical happened to me when I was nine years old. I was born in Zimbabwe, and when I was four, we moved to the Canary Islands. And after that, every year of my life, until I was eight, we moved countries and so I was at a different school in a different place, and normally a different language. When I was eight, we settled in the uk goodness and um, it was about that time that I became a Christian I was sort of eight or nine i 'm not quite sure and It wasn't a radical conversion, you know, aged eight, you don't really have a kind of history of drug and sex addiction that you can repent of, Um, you know, turning from my radical life to something really good. I, I was quite a good girl anyway, but I was just lying in bed and I was reading a children's living Bible and it just dawned on me that this was the truth and I just decided to believe and I began to pray. But my prayer life changed. And I began, I'd been longing to go back to Zimbabwe. I, my heart's desire was to go back and live there. But I knew that there was a civil war going on in Zimbabwe. And I also knew that my parents had, we were in a contract, we were going to live in Vancouver in three or four months' time. And it was already set, we had already, the plans were already in place. We had our flights booked. The packers, I think, were like due to move in within a few weeks' time. And it was all kind of set to go. But I started praying passionately that we would go back to Zimbabwe. <coughs> it was 1980, and one day Dad came home and said, you know, the civil war has ended in what was, it was then Rhodesia, turned to Zimbabwe, and um, the company have asked me to go and open up an office in Harare, the capital city. Now, in my nine-year-old understanding of God... I completely and utterly believed that God had stopped a civil war that had been going on for at least 10 years in answer to my prayers. It was the most amazing thing. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, that's a really sweet story. (laughs) You know, that's really sweet. And with my logical mind, when I think about that story, I think that's a really sweet story too. But call me in saying, I still believe that God stopped that war in answer to my prayers. I'm sure there were other people praying too. I'm sure, of course there were. But I really do believe, somehow inside me, that God heard my prayer and responded to it. And I've noticed that in my life since then, a huge number of coincidences happen when I pray. Now, people can explain it away. You can explain most of them away. You can't prove Christianity just by answered prayer. It's not a sort of scientific, factual, experimental way of of proving that God exists and that he, he, um, he answers our pitiful cries up to him somewhere in the unknown. But I believe that he answers prayers. And so that's why I want to talk to you about prayer tonight. But what is prayer, really? What is it? Prayer is the main way that we form a relationship with God, our Father in heaven. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. It's a relationship rather than a ritual It's not a torrent of mechanical and mindless words. It's not, the God bless prayers are great, but actually God wants a relationship. He wants a conversation with us. It's about our Father in Heaven. It's not about the people around us or what other people, or even a conversation with ourselves. Um, there was this little boy once who yelled out, you know, please, God, can you bring me a box of chocolates for my birthday? And his mother said, you know, darling, you don't need to shout, God isn't deaf. And he said, yeah, but Grandpa is, and he's in the next door room. <laughs> that, is, that is not prayer. <coughs> So glad you laughed, because I've told that before, and they they didn't laugh when I said it last time. Um, So when we pray, it's not to others, it's not to ourselves, but it's to God, and it's about a personal relationship with him. Now, I'm currently doing Alpha at the church where I work, and in my group last week, um, we got talking about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it was it was quite a difficult conversation and i don't really know how to describe the trinity because the trinity is one of the great mysteries of the christian faith you can't really describe it because god is so big but when we pray we use all three parts of the trinity and this is one helpful way of just beginning to understand the trinity a little bit more so when we pray we pray to the father to god the father Jesus taught us, probably the prayer that, you know, whether you're a churchgoer or not, you know the Lord's Prayer. Probably a thee and thou version of it, not necessarily a modern one. But you know it starts, our Father in heaven. And it starts with our Father because it's about our Father. It's about an intimate relationship with a, a a personhood, someone who has personality. Now, C.S. Lewis, of course, says that God is beyond personality, but he is still personal. And we are made in his image. So, our personhood is a reflection of something about the nature of God. And he's our loving father. The, B- the Bible says that we can call him daddy, dear father. The Aramaic word for it is Abba, which I personally find very unhelpful because I can't help thinking of Abba and, you know, money, money, money and all the sort of Fernando and all their songs. But what it really means is this intimate parent-child loving relationship, this intimate word, you know, sitting on your daddy's lap, curling up and just sort of loving him. So he is our father in heaven, but he is also He's our Father in intimate, but he's also our Father in heaven. Let me read you about the Voyager 2. On August, the 20th of August in 1977, Voyager 2, the interplanetary probe, launched to observe and send information back to the Earth. It set off at 90,000 miles per hour, faster than a bullet, And 12 years later, on the 28th of August 1989, it reached the planet Neptune, 27,000 million miles from the Earth. It then left left our solar system, and it will not come within one light year of any star for 958,000 years. In our galaxy, there are 100 million stars like the Sun, like the Sun that we know. And our galaxy is one of a hundred million galaxies. It's quite a lot out there, really. In a throw-it-away line in Genesis are the words, he also made the stars. <laughs> that is the God who we speak to when we go into our room and we call him Daddy. He is intimate and close by, but he's also this incredibly big thing that is beyond our understanding. So when we pray, we pray to the Father, but we pray through the Son, through Jesus. Paul says, Paul was one of the um, apostles who wrote loads of the letters in the New Testament, and he says, in the book of Ephesians, through Him—that's through Jesus—we both, the Jews and the Gentiles. In those days, there was a very big difference between the Jews and the Gentiles in terms of their Christian, the Christ, because Jesus was a Jew, and the, um, the, there were people who became Christians who weren't Jews, and so there was a lot, there was a lot of division. So he says, through Him, we both, Jews and Gentiles—that's all of us—have access to the Father by one Spirit. Jesus then said, whatever you ask in my name, I will give you. So we're allowed to use Jesus' name when we come to the Father. Often if you are in a church service, you hear at the end of the prayers, people will end them by saying, "Through through Jesus Christ our Lord, or in the name of Jesus, Amen. And that's because, it's only because of what Jesus has done on the cross that we have access to the Father. You know that um, I think Tim last week talked about the barrier that we have between us, I doubt he used a checkbook, between us and God. <laughs> and that, 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 that if this is us, there's a barrier between us and God. And what Jesus does is he takes away the barriers so that we have access to the father and so when we come to god in prayer this barrier is removed because of what jesus has done and enables us to have complete access to the father the reason i brought the checkbook is because i wanted to demonstrate that the value of a check doesn't just depend on the number that is written on the on the piece of paper the value of the check depends on the person whose name is at the bottom So if I wrote Sarah a cheque for 10 million pounds, wrote it out, I said, here you go, you know, have a lovely year, or 10 years maybe, I don't know. Um, It would actually be worth nothing, I'm afraid. (laughs) And you might as well just rip it up and throw it away. But if Bill Gates wrote you a cheque for 10 million pounds, it would be worth every penny. And that's what it's like with Jesus. Jesus has this enormous unlimited account at the bank of heaven. And what he's saying to us is, use my name. Use my name for your checks. Use my name when you approach God. So that is how we can come into God's presence. So we pray to God the Father, through Jesus the Son, and we pray by one Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Now... This is the bit that 's really hard to understand, and this is a little bit like explaining the ice to the Indian was it where was it? yeah, ice to the Indian. When we become Christians, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us. Now, I know when you go away on your I think it 's on the 10th of November you 'll get a chance to really wrestle and grapple with what this really means, but sometimes it 's really hard to pray and that's why God's given us the Spirit. He didn't say, right, you know, I've come down to earth, I'm going I'm to hang around with you, then I'm going to die, and then I'm just going to go up into heaven, and I'm just going to leave you to get on with it. You know, he went up into, up into heaven, and he expressly gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we could remain in contact with him, so that we could have something inside us that helps us to pray. Paul, who um, wrote in the Ephesians that I was just um, reading earlier, he wrote in Romans, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So that is what the Holy Spirit does. He helps us to pray. He he helps us know the words to use because it's hard sometimes um, to pray. But why pray? So we understand a little bit about how the dynamic might work, but why bother? You know, Some people say, well, you know, if God knows all my needs, he knows what I need, why do I need to ask him? That's quite a good question. But asking is not the main point of prayer. Communication is the main point. So if the only way you know how to pray is to ask, then it's better to ask than to say nothing. There are many, many other ways to pray. Um, I'm sure, in like the Bill Hybels book and some of the other examples that, of the books that Tim has talked to you about, will be people's experiences of how they pray. You know, sometimes you just want to say thank you, God. You know, sometimes when you wake up in the morning and it's just one of those perfect days. Or when you get a new job or whatever it is. You just want to say, thank you, God. You don't need to ask him. You can just say, thank you. You know, sometimes we, we just spend time praising him. That's prayer. When you just look at the stars and you think, oh my goodness, you are so amazing. Sometimes when we know we've done something wrong or been really grumpy in the morning or something like that, we need to say we're sorry because we know that's not the way he would want us to live. So there are tons of ways to pray. But um, just like when you're in a relationship with another person, you need to spend time in all those different types of prayer because you know, there's times when you need to just sit and listen. There are times when it's okay to laugh and joke. There are times when you just come and you ask. And it's the same with God. He likes us to spend time with him in prayer. And another good reason to pray is that Jesus did it. Throughout the New Testament, there are endless examples of Jesus going to pray to his Father, Jesus talking to God. And, you know, he kind of assumed that his disciples would do it. He doesn't say, if you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father in secret. He says, when you pray, go into your room and pray to your Father in secret. If we needed any further incentive, because I think Jesus is a great example to follow, um, there are rewards for praying. John Stott, who has written lots of very amazing Christian books that are kind of really helpful to understanding these different concepts, but he writes this The hidden rewards of prayer are too many to enumerate. When we call to him, we are granted a, sh- a strong assurance of his fatherhood and love. He lifts the light of his face upon us and gives us his peace he refreshes our soul satisfies our hunger quenches our thirst we know we are no longer prodigals for we have been forgiven no longer alienated for we have come home so there are many rewards for prayer another good reason for praying is that that prayer Changes us and it changes situations. Many people accept that prayer can have a beneficial effect on individuals, but some people challenge the fact that God could be a God who stops a civil war for the sake of a nine year old's prayers. And like I said, you know, we can't prove these things, but there seem to be a huge amount of coincidences when we begin to pray. And God does answer, prayer. Um, one of the things that I find most difficult about being a Christian is the frustration that God lives outside of my time zone. So he doesn't live in this linear time zone where you, know, you start the day at the beginning of the day and you end at the end of the day and you get older. You know, God, God doesn't live like that. He's, in, he's beyond time. And because he isn't constrained by time in the way that we are, He's, he literally has the whole of eternity to answer the prayer of a person who's about to crash. Someone who's in a car, about to crash, in a, be in a car accident. So, when I say that God changes circumstances, of course He does, because He has all eternity to answer our little prayers. And He doesn't live in the way that we do. He can hear all your prayers if, you're, if we're all praying all at once. And that's quite a profound thing. On numerous occasions, Jesus encourages us to ask him. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. I have a little prayer box which I brought along tonight. Because... I wanted to show you a way of praying that definitely works for me. And in my prayer box, I have lots of prayers that I write down. So I'm not very good at writing a journal. You know, lots of people write a prayer journal and they keep a record of, you know, they write, oh, you know, praying for this and I felt this and they write their verses down. I'm not very good at that. But I'll kind of maybe I'm at work and I'll just kind of think, oh, I must pray about Christmas and I'll write it down on a bit of paper and then I'll put it in my prayer box. Or that's my sister-in-law. She isn't a Christian, so you know she's in there. Oh, my parents are now living in Chile, in South America. You know, I pray for their safety. Um, you know, things like I can't read that one out loud. <laughs> 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 um, uh, you know, things for my friends, things for myself, my good children, my family. I put them in here. And what's really amazing about this little box is that. You know, sometimes I'm not very good at it. I'll just kind of, maybe in the morning, just pick one out and go, oh, yeah, I'll pray for them. You know, that's all right. And I'll fling it back in. But then other times when I've got a bit more time, I'll get get them all out and I'll pray through them. And I put a date, normally, of the day that I put the prayer request in or the prayer in. And nearly every time I go through the whole box, I find one or two, sometimes three, have been answered. And so I've got another box which I didn't bring along because I would have like, had really a really huge number of boxes, which I have to admit is a little bit smaller than this box. Um, but I have another box where I put my answered prayers. And it's the most exciting thing when you can take something, you take it out and you think, oh my goodness, God's answered that. And then what I do is I write something on the back, whether it's the date or Thank you or something about the answer prayer and I put that in my answer prayer box and um, it builds my faith and it helps me see that God really does answer prayer although sometimes not in my time frame um, there are times when God doesn't answer prayer and or doesn't appear to be answered answering prayer and that's a little bit frustrating um, so so much of the Bible says, oh, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, and there are other examples of that. And then we see, oh, but he didn't answer that one, and he didn't answer that one. And there are lots of good reasons why God may not want to do it. One of the reasons is if we have unconfessed sin. So if we have that barrier between us and God, he may not hear our prayers. Now, sometimes, and I find it a little bit annoying, you know, he answers the prayers of people who claim to be atheists. And I'm like, but God, I've been praying for ages. Why did you answer his prayer? He doesn't even believe you exist. So sometimes God surprises us. But we can't depend on that. If we are in relationship with him, we need to make sure that there isn't a barrier on a daily basis that prevents us from hearing God. So all we need to just do is just say, I'm sorry God, and give it give it back to him, and then we have access to Christ again. Um, The other thing is that sometimes our prayer requests come with a slightly wrong motive. You know, every prayer for a Porsche um, doesn't get answered. I hate to break the news to you. And um, Jesus' brother, James, writes this. If you want something... You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So sometimes God doesn't give us what we ask for because he knows it's not good for us or maybe it's not good for others. I'm not a parent, but my sister has the most adorable children that I cannot resist. And they are so cute. I can, you know, they, they're just so easy to spoil, completely rotten. But if my little nephew, who's four, said to me, Oh, Perry, please, can I play with a carving knife and that, those, those bits of broken glass? No matter how cute he was, no matter how gorgeous he is, or what a hideous tantrum he might throw, I am not going to let him. Because I can see the bigger picture. I understand that the carving knife will not be a good toy. And sometimes we have to trust that God's answer will be no. Often his answer is yet, and sometimes it's maybe. You know, with little Joel, it'll be, you know, when you're 10 or when you're 15, we can do some carving together. But you're going to have to wait. And that's a long time for a four-year-old. So... God does answer prayer, but sometimes it's a little bit difficult to accept his answer. Um, I have looked back over some of my prayer requests. Some of the men I've begged God for, to fall in love with me, and I'm just so grateful that God didn't do it. <laughs> so he does know better, um, but it's just sometimes hard to accept. Um How should we pray? Um, Jesus taught us to pray using the Lord's Prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer because it's how Jesus taught us to pray. And that's a great way to um, learn how to pray, is to read through it, take each line, try to understand it, maybe make it into your own words and, and embellish it in your own way. But I think in your notes there's the acronym ACTS, which stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Um, adoration really is just spending time saying, "God, you're great. God, I love you." Just to kind of that somehow talking your love language to God, whatever that is. C stands for confession. That's really just saying, "I'm sorry. I've stuffed up. You know, I've done it again. You know, I didn't mean it, but I couldn't help it." had another chocolate yeah. um, And then Thanksgiving is, you can thank him for anything. It can be your health, your friends, your family, your house, the weather, whatever it is. Spend some time thanking him. And then supplication, which I personally find is a funny word because I don't actually know anyone who uses that word in common language. But it's really asking. That's the time to ask God um, for the things that you need. And for your friends, asking for your friends things that your friends may, may need or if you've got someone who's ill you could ask God to, to heal them the New Testament tells us that we should pray at all times you know, on the tube, on your bike um, when you're lying in bed when you're at home you don't have to be at church you don't have to be at Alpha you don't have to be in a special place that you've set aside you can pray all the time but it is good to try and find a little bit of time each day that you can actually spend alone with God. I do it over a bowl of breakfast in the morning, bowl of breakfast cereal. I just sit down. I, you know, it helps to read the Bible at the same time, read the Bible and pray. I have to admit that mine is normally only about 10 minutes. Um, and I think the recommended time would be a bit longer. Um, but you've got to make it work for yourself. Um, it's also good to... Pray with others. If you, if there's a prayer meeting, is there a prayer meeting here, Tim? Ah, oh. asked Tim Stilwell for more information about that. It's great to pray with other people. Sometimes it's really difficult. I remember the first time I prayed out loud in front of other people, I was sweating. I just remember thinking, I can't do it. I can't do it. They're all going to think I'm an idiot. Oh, you know. I remember the, when the words came out, it was like a tiny little squeak. Um, But it's good to pray with other people because when we pray out loud it's like saying I really believe what I'm asking for. I really believe this. And it boosts faith when we all see answered prayers. So prayer is at the heart of Christianity because the heart of Christianity is about relationship with God. And it may be that what I've been talking about tonight is a little bit like me trying to describe ice to an Indian. (laughs) It may be that you just find it really hard to believe me. But if you're happy, I'm going to pray for all of us now. Is that all right, Tim? And I'm going to ask God to help you to start this relationship with him. So if you want to just bow your heads, close your eyes, I'm not asking anyone else to pray out loud. But maybe if you feel this prickle inside you, like you want to start to pray, you want to have start this relationship with God, then just let him talk to you. So dear Jesus, I want to thank you for every person here. I want to thank you that you want to be in relationship with each one of us. That you want to spend time with us, listen to us pray, and talk back to us. And so I ask that every single one of us would learn how to do that and spend time doing it this week. In Jesus' name, Amen. And just, I think that Tim prayed a prayer last week. Um, that's in this book, Why Jesus? And if you were thinking, oh, I'm not really sure how to take this forward, I'm not really sure how to pray, there is a great prayer in this, and, and it kind of explains a little bit more about, about how to pray at the back of this book. So do, have you got spare ones of these? There's, there's a few of these around, so please do take one. They're good to have in your handbag, back pocket. Thanks, Tim.